Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days, you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. G-A-L-D-E-M <laughs> This song is good. Welcome to Growing Up with Gaudem, the show where we explore the stories, struggles and triumphs of growing up as people of colour. I'm Natty Kassambala. And I'm Nyala Arboin. Each week, our guests respond to old diary entries, letters, notes or texts from their younger selves. Helping us understand how their coming of age made them who they are today. Hello, Nye. How's it going? Good, good. How How's the new job? It's going really well. So yeah, I have sadly cry left Gaudem as the lifestyle editor, but you After never really knew Gaudem. Years. <laughs> <After> <laughs> seven years. Yeah. Basically like my whole 20s. But yeah, mm. new job is good. I'm editing for a nature magazine called Where the Leaves Fall. So hashtag wholesome content. Love that. Yeah, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. And as we all know, Gaudam is a blood cult. So even though you might have left your position, <laughs> you, can <never> leave. <laughs> you, you can never truly leave Gaudam. Never. <laughs> you just like move around. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just you're in a new capacity as an alumni now. Exactly. Shout out to the alumni. But you know what? It's time to get into chatting to our next guest. So our guest today is a Nigerian American writer. All right. They are the author of Fat Off, Fat On, A Big Bitch Manifesto. Okay, okay. They are fearless in a Twitter beef situation. Hard relate, hard relate. (laughs) 
And they are also the host of season one of Gaudem's Reclaimed and Rewritten, which you should listen to right now if you haven't. <laughs> Not right now, after this one. Content warning. This episode contains mentions of fat phobia and racial slurs. Thank you so much for joining us. It's great to have you on the show, Clarkisha. How are you doing? I am good. Thank you for having me, first of all. Second of all, I'm really excited for us to get down to the nitty gritty today and chat. Yes. So I guess to kick us off, can you tell us who you are and yeah, how would you define what you do? So my name is Clarkisha Kent, pronouns she, her. As far as what I do, I mean, I used to define myself as like shit talker you know, internet shit talker. I still do that sometimes, but now I'm like, I would describe myself more as like an author because I've wanted to pivot to like writing books and stuff for a long time because that's kind of where my, you know, dream started. So that's kind of where I would place myself right now. I love the internet shit talker to author <laughs> pipeline. <laughs> it's a oh reliable God. pipeline for the most part, for the most part. And we wanted to talk a bit about your book, Fat Off, Fat On, A Big Bitch Manifesto. Could you tell us a little bit about, obviously the title alone, I felt immediately kind of like invigorated by that. But I wanted to hear a bit more about what it kind of encompasses and what the inspiration was behind it. So it is definitely a book where I kind of tackle fat phobia, obviously, but like through the lens of like many, many different, for lack of a better word, since it's been being into the ground, intersections. I knew it was important for me to write, mostly for me, because there was a lot of, to be blunt, like a lot of ex- like demons from my own past I need to exercise on paper, right? Because that's, that's how I process. I've always processed via writing. On the flip side, I, I knew it was important for me to write because there's a lot of like, there are a lot of books out there on fatness, but only very few that are coming from like a racialized quotations, right? Point of view. Um, and there's there's a lot of things in fat phobia that are kind of intertwined with, not even kind of, intertwined with racism, colorism, what have you. And even the origins of fatness itself comes from racism. So I just thought it was important to kind of elaborate on my experiences to, you know, if to basically see if you're someone out there who relates. I'm just like, hey, you're not by yourself. This is a phenomenon that does happen to other people on this planet, right? So that's kind of where I was coming from. Could you kind of like, I guess you touched on kind of the origins of fatness. Can you kind of explain that a bit more? Sabrina Strings explained it very well in her book, Fearing the Black Body. So I would recommend anyone listening to go read her work because she she explained it in vivid detail. I guess the best way I could just really shorten it real quick is basically you know, those early centuries where we're talking about enlightened, right? You know, that brings a certain picture to mind. Enlightened English writers at a certain point when they're introduced, I use introduced very lightly considering the history of what happened, introduced to Black people, they need a way to kind of start to like racialize and box everything, right? Because they don't want to be seen as the same as us. So obviously, you know, we're built different and they use that difference, that fatness that they first see when they see us uh, as a line of demarcation. So yes, fat, black, but they start kind of breaking it down either, even further, right? So if you're fat, 
then you have to be greedy, then you have to be stupid. Like they start really breaking it down to separate their enlightened, thin white selves from, you know, the fat, black, you know, unintelligent, they didn't even call us people as we know, people that they encountered. So that's kind of where it starts. It kind of goes from there. Like I said, go read uh, Sabrina Strings' book, but that's kind of like the quickest way to summarize it. Thank you for that. And also, for those who are listening, there were some very heavy physical quotation marks. Yeah, very <laughs> Over of that phrasing. <laughs> I was like, I was like, say, say that you're using quotation marks. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> quotations. Many, many quotations, quotations were used. Quotations, yes. quotations, yes. of course. It was all, you know, mm-hmm. amazing. I was reading Belly of the Beast recently and that book also touches on this kind of idea of how we're separating blackness and whiteness through fatness. But I guess I kind of wanted to know more about the process for you writing this. What was that journey like and bringing yourself and the politics, everything to the table at once? How did you kind of navigate that? It was definitely tough as a lot of of my like mutuals people know I got my book contract literally like couple days removed from a house fire so that was fun I was like it's a lot going on right now and then we were also like kind of flirting in the states between lockdown quotations and not lockdown you know we didn't never really had a proper lockdown but okay so kind of dealing with that and then kind of going back to my past in my head and trying to like unearth some of these old memories was definitely tough. I was blessed in the fact that at the time I was able to have two kind of mental health professionals on deck, which was like at the time my psychiatrist and my therapist, and they kind of talked me through process. So if I on any given day happened to write like a really heavy chapter, because you know, for the audience out there, trigger warning for like everything. Anything you think of is probably in there. Just saying. So when I would write like a really heavy chapter, I'd be like, okay, that's done. And then I would go to my therapist and be like, hey, so I talked about this horrendous thing today. Let's unpack it. So that was kind of my um process. Reading it back has been interesting because now I have it all on paper. But yeah, I think the key for me was to... Whenever a memory popped up that wasn't necessarily great, just being brave enough in that moment or series of moments to like unpack it, even after like the chapter ended, quotations. I mean, we've had like a lot of authors on this before and obviously the podcast is kind of about like unearthing memories from your childhood and stuff. I've never heard of that approach before. Neither. Or and someone it makes so much saying, sense. Yeah, like have an infrastructure around you when you're kind of excavating your childhood memories and stuff like that. That is, yeah, that's incredible. And I guess kind of along those lines or in conjunction with that kind of like careful methodology, a lot of the chapter titles seem so like grabbing and to the point and just very like irreverent. For example, my shitty family, my bisexual awakening and my skinny summer. And I just wanted to hear a bit more about like that directness that you've kind of got in your vo- like tone of voice. Like, is that something that you've always written with or something that you kind of honed with time and intention? How did that kind of come about? Great question. So I think it's always been present in my writing because I try to write how I would be talking to someone like in person. I don't ever want it to be too, because I'm not, you know, I'm not as intellectual. I don't like that. Um, but I kind of like to 
like not inaccessible. Right, yeah, yeah. you're towards, yeah, you're towards somewhat colloquial, but not quite, you know, because of my background, obviously. So that's kind of my first thing. The second thing was that the titles in particular were inspired by Scrubs, which one of my favorite shows of all time in the States. Bojack Horseman obviously takes like number one now because I can't stop talking about it because one of my favorite shows, like number one. But Scrubs before that was the thing. And I loved watching it because it just, just watching this hapless, <laughs> clueless 20 something try to make it through like med school would kind of spoke to me, right? But yeah, like if you go look at those episode titles for the show, it's kind of the same, same thing, you know. My, I don't know, my lucky shoe, my random day off work. Like that's how that show titles their things too. And obviously if it was like a ensemble episode, they would add hour. So that's kind of the approach I took here because I thought it'd be like a nice nod to other Scrubs fans, but also like, like you mentioned, um, kind of quick and to the point in case you were wondering what the chapter is like or what it's talking about. Yeah, I wanted to know about the bisexual awakening. But also, did you have a, what, I guess, what was your favorite chapter in the book? Um, yeah, do you mind sharing that with us? I think my favorite chapter was probably my traumatic injury, which people would be like, what? And I'm like, no, because in there, there was like a slight flirtation with a really hot physical therapist. So I was like, I was very, it was very funny writing that chapter. Love that. Yeah, you know, obviously... He was too pretty, so it went left. But um, <laughs> as it does, you know, Prince said, you know. Never trust a pretty boy. Exactly, <laughs> right? So, yeah, I liked writing that chapter for the most part because it was just funny reflecting back on it. Because, like, people are going to read it and be like, that didn't happen. I'm like, I swear to God. Scouts on, I swear to God, this happened. Like, I too thought I was on crack. And then, like... The vibes was vibing, you know, till the end, obviously. But yeah, it was just at that point in my life, like so much like shitty things were happening that that being occurrence was just hilarious to me because like people are going to read in the book. There's a stretch of time during my injury where I just kept running into hot doctors like I'm not even I'm not even joking. Like I just it, it was like fanfic. it was like a string <laughs> of hot doctors. I, I know it is, but I'm you like it's giving Mindy projects. It know? really is, but I'm like I'm not even joking. Like the surgeon was hot, and then after that, it was the physical therapist. I think there was like one more like health professional, but like I I thought it was funny because like I can't even do nothing about this. I can't move like half of my body, so I was just like just. I guess y'all are here just to be looked at, which that's okay. But yeah, so that'd probably be my favorite chapter only because like it just seems insane. The ultimate meet cute. Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? And I guess like kind of along these same lines slash like going back to what you're talking about before with the kind of internet shit talker to author pipeline, it does seem like there's an element of like humor and like lightness that you are able to find in like these rough or traumatic situations I guess is that something that's always been a part of your personality you, do you find that you often use that kind of I don't know I'm that sort of person as well right it's to an extent it's almost like romanticizing your life or like starring in your your very own sitcom where yeah. you have your you know your peaks and troughs has that always been the case 
Yes, like you mentioned, because of kind of the, the frequency and the terrible things that had happened, especially early on in my life, I really just had to be like, okay, take a lot of time to objectively look at what was going on and try to make my way out of it or around it. So yeah, humor was definitely the key there. Actually got into trouble with my therapist early on a lot because I would always, like I would say some traumatic thing or story and then I would make some joke like, and she would laugh. I got her. I got her once. I got her once. Because like she she usually that. she usually was stone faced and she had her little, you know, clipboard and she was taking her little notes and like she was she was taking her notes. Serious. Like serious no writing, <laughs> no taking. And then one time I caught her because I said something and she like busted out laughing before she could stop herself. And then she was like, Don't do that no more. Like stop, <laughs> deflect it. And I'm like, That's the worst as well when you take it as a challenge. You're like she doesn't want me to laugh, but I'm going to break her. <laughs> I treat it as like a one-woman comedy show. And I'm like, my job here is to make you laugh once. <laughs> Literally. I was just going to say, I'm, I'm not, I don't know if I'm that, if I crack jokes, but I used to also laugh after everything I said. I'd be like, oh yeah, this fucked up thing. Ha ha ha. And she's like, why are you laughing? Is it funny? Is it, is it actually funny though? And I'd be like, uh, to me, yeah, maybe it's a little funny. But yeah, amazing. Hard relate. Based on what has happened in my own life, I'm like, I just, I have to laugh. Because if I don't laugh, I'm going to do a lot of really ugly crying. Because, like, a lot has happened, as some a lot of people are reading the book. And I just, there was there had to be some way to make it a little lighter, especially to swallow if you aren't someone who, you know, lived in my shoes or can immediately relate to what happened. We're just going to take a quick break, and we'll be back after this for the extract. So I think it's time to get into the next section. Here you have brought us some photographs, which might be a podcast first. Could you start with a little bit of context, like describe what you're looking at for us and just like, and any reason why you chose these pictures specifically? Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So uh, yeah, I'll try to describe them as best as I can to the audience. So in one photo, I am a baby. Uh, I would say I'm about give myself maybe like seven, seven months, eight, nine. I don't know the pregnancy math, y'all. I'm sorry, forgive me. I just know that I was fresh out the cooch for those months. I don't know, you know, two T, three T. I don't know what that means. I'm sorry, y'all. But I was, you know, fresh out. I'm in like this, like essentially, it looks like a doll dress. White sleeves, puff sleeves, little white bib going on. And then I have like this fruit dress on. It is totally fruit, a fruit dress. I feel like that was early foreshadowing for me being the gay. We don't know yet, but I just, that's how it's I took it. Giving cottage core. Right, cottage core for real. <laughs> uh, <laughs> then I had a little afro going, a little small puff. I'm pretty sure this is one of like, like, so in the States, we have like Kmart. Walmart, that kind of thing, and in Kmart in particular, and Sears, right, before they kind of smushed themselves together in a, a merger, um, there was like Olay Mills, like the little the photography studio that was in <laughs> Kmart. Yes, so I'm pretty yes. sure this is where we took the photo. But yeah, I, you know, somebody snapped me candidly because my mouth is open. I don't even know what's going on. I'm not going to lie to you. I would not be shocked if I they had just they had just woke me up cuz they often did that a lot. Like before I would hit the crying stage, they would like snap the photo and then I would like start crying like 5 minutes after cuz I you know, I just woke up. So yeah, that's picture number 1. Picture number 2. Uh it's Christmas. I'm in my like parents' old living room/den. I'm right next to really at the time, I thought it was a tall Christmas tree. It is not. It is barely tall to me. It's given like 5'8 at most. <laughs> but yeah, very, very heavily decorated tree, lots of lights. And then I'm in a traditional out- outfit because I'm Nigerian. And it was uh, one of the first that was sewed for me by my, I call him my grandfather, but he was technically my great uncle. He was no longer with us, but he's a tailor in Brooklyn at the time. And he kind of sewed it for me. It's all white. I had a little headband. I had the, is it A-Train? Is that what they call it? IDK. But like, I felt like I was a little sexy fish as a kid because like it cinched my legs in (laughs) and then it flared out. So that's kind of what we're looking at there. I think in the bottom right, I got something Barbie related. I'm pretty sure it was like the latest edition of Barbie because I used to bother my parents all the time for it. And I think that was like the one Christmas they gave it to me. I think I... Should have been like maybe nine or ten at the time. That is what we're looking at in those two photos. And why did you pick those two? So I picked the first one, the baby one, because like something about that dress just makes me laugh. Like the the choice of dress because it's so funny and it's so cute, but I'm so confused. And I feel like that was my state for many very important moments in my life, whether tragic or not tragic, just being like a state of confusion. Like, is this really happening? Do I really exist right now? So I feel like 
that was kind of encompassing my overall attitude towards life sometimes. The second outfit for me was, not second outfit, picture for me was important to include because of my converging identities. It's annoying because my parents kind of made the unilateral decision to cut me off from a lot of cultural things for fear of, you know, xenophobia and for fear of me, like, retaining some sort of accent, et cetera, et cetera. And I remember, like, just bold-faced confronting my dad about it because I'm like, we're Africans in Tennessee. Somebody is walking away here with an accent. I don't know what to tell you, whether it's Nigerian quotations or it's, the Appalachian South, somebody's walking away with an accent. Like, I'm sorry to tell you that, break the news to you. Like, you really picked a very interesting place to place roots if you were worried about an accent, you know? This is the South. Somebody's going to have some certain type of twang. So I think that was why I picked the second photo, because it's kind of one of the few moments in my life, thanks to my great uncle, not my parents, my great uncle, where I could really kind of bask into the rich culture I was born into, despite meddling by my parents. I guess what was the kind of effects of that, you know, assimilation on you? Did you feel it at the time or is it something that you look back at now, even maybe when looking at these photos and kind of think? Excellent question. I feel like it had a couple effects, mainly the one being, you know, the ones that our parents love employing um, if you're in the States, which is like you're so Americanized. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, you didn't really put any effort into making sure that wasn't a thing. The second thing that happened was interesting because while my parents kind of neglected to instill that cultural knowledge into me themselves, they still went to like these social groups. We were still involved in Nigerian churches, what have you. But the thing was, these spaces were majority Yoruba. My parents' tribe is not Yoruba. They're Edo or Bini, whatever, like however you want to split it, but that's their actual tribe. So the fact that I was maybe exposed to two or three people in that tribe versus the quotations dominant one was very interesting. And also like weirdly isolating Because I was already pretty disconnected, period. So you're kind of throwing me further into that disconnection. So there was a lot of things that I had to learn myself. I still don't know the language, which is really frustrating. Because language is key in this kind of thing. So put it on my bucket list at one point to learn the language. But for now, that's like not something I can do based on time. But yeah, there's this weird disconnect that happens. So you end up having to do a lot of work to either compensate or learn on your own. I think that's that's definitely like a recurring theme we've had before. Such a pattern of like kind of the first few years or the first kind of 10, 15 years being like assimilate, assimilate, assimilate. No, don't do that. No, we need to feel at home here. And then you kind of reach this stage in your own journey where you're like, actually, I'd really like a connection with my culture or I go home and everyone thinks, calls me, you know, whatever their version of Oyimbo is. And now I'm like annoyed or now your parents are annoyed that you don't speak the language or, you know, you're not fluent in these other aspects. It's like, so what? what's the truth? How can I be, how can I be both for you? Yeah, you um, kind of set me up and it was annoying too because my, my grandmother who is, she's, she's passed now, she passed while I was in college, but my mom used to like just throw me 
on the phone with her and I'm like, I don't <laughs> I don't Clarkeisha can't come to the phone right I now. don't know what you want me to say. You know, I got taught some short phrases and you know, it always helped that she seemed very excited to talk to me, even though we couldn't understand a lick of what the other person was saying. But it was like nice to hear her voice. It was always a very warm voice. But yeah, I remember looking at my mom like, you know you rock for this. And I hope she cu- I hope I hope she cusses you out. I can't cuss you out like I would like to, but I hope she does it because she your mama. So <laughs> so yeah. I guess when you kind of look back at both of these versions of yourself, what is that kind of like overriding emotion that you feel? I look at my old self and I'm just like, honey, you got a storm coming. (laughs) I just look at my old pictures and I'm like, you know, obviously, you know, my whole life was marked by very interesting occurrences. But I feel like at the time, if I had told both versions what exactly was going to happen and where we were going to end up, Probably would have looked at me like I had six heads or called me a witch, what have you. Like, I think it's interesting to look at them because I just feel like they had no idea. And it's nice to sometimes see that version of yourself and remind yourself how weird and awesome and awkward life can be. So that's kind of what I'm reminded of when I look at these old photos. Hmm. I think that's that's such an interesting point. And we definitely had that v- before as well, where it's like a snapshot right before a pivotal moment. And you're like, there was before and then there was after. And oh, I think both of these pictures look like they were taken at Christmas time. I think I can spot like a little decoration in the back of the baby one. And then the other one is obviously definitely Christmas time. What was Christmas like in your household? Was that a time when people came together and was that like you mentioned um your great uncle kind of using that opportunity Mm. to help you connect to your culture what do you remember from those sorts of occasions so holidays were a very interesting concept in my household because as I mentioned the book my father is a a narcissist so it's very hard (laughs) having a successful holiday in that house that being said there were still attempts to celebrate anyway Despite what my book details, like we were still like a very much like a food household. We like to eat and we like, you know, presents and decorations and stuff. So kind of like the act of celebrating was very interesting to us, particularly my parents who, again, we're not, we're not from here. So it was very like interesting experience, experience, but also experiment for them to kind of play with different holidays that they weren't used to. Kind of like an interesting, explorative period every time we tried to do some American quotations holiday. So I think that was kind of the appeal for us, or my parents in particular. Like, it was due, it was different. You know, I don't like my parents, but, you know, just like myself or other kids, you know, there's always some need to separate yourself or make yourself like distinct from your parents. So I feel like that also drove that decision too. I always feel like, well, at least my family, like immigrant families always somehow switch up the Christmas dinner as well. It's like, we're going to do that, but there's rice and peas here yeah. too. Yes. <laughs> no one's going to stop me. Yes. Oh, definitely <laughs> cultural foods are definitely present. But yeah, my mom got into, you know, making the ham 
and the mac and, and you know, the cheese and all that. So it, you're right, though. It's definitely a time where like I feel like it's very sink or swim. Holidays can either serve as a moment where everyone goes like, OK, we all have all of this shit going on. Let's put it to the side for today and just like kind of like create this fantasy in which we're all like just everything is fine or it just builds up into this culmination. It's the opposite. Yeah, of just like this pressure cooker, you know, and it's like it's either one or the other. So I'm always interested to hear how people's holidays transpire. I'm, I guess I'm also interested in what you mentioned there when you said that your your father is a narcissist and so it makes it harder kind of celebrate holidays in that way. What would you say are some of the ways that manifests in in traditions for you? So children of narcissists, first of all, y'all out there, shout out. It's, it's very hard for us. It was. But hallmarks for them is that, you know, they'll try to redirect the holiday back to themselves, whether that's in a good way or a bad way. For my father, it was always a bad way. So, you know, without fail, the morning of Christmas... He'd be mad about something, then would try to initiate this like big fight with like everybody, like every single Christmas. There wasn't, you was never late, never late, never late for that. So there would be some big fight initiated and you know, because dysfunction breeds dysfunction, people, you know, especially when I'm younger, I'm a child, right? So, you know, there's a lot, some lack of discernment there because you know, my mom didn't know what a narcissist was, but she knew that this nigga was tripping. That's that's what she knew, right? So, you know, fights would still ensue. And then there would kind of be chaos and discord until, like, the food was served, right? Even when the food was served, there would be kind of, like, this dark cloud now that had been cast over as a result of all, like, the bigger and fighting, right? It wasn't until I got much older and was able to have like the verbiage and vocabulary now to kind of describe what was going on was when I kind of decided to opt out. So towards like my late tenure in the house of celebrating the holidays with them, he would get started with his BS that day, like start his fights or whatever. And then I would just look at him and be like, okay, so on to things that matter. And then just eat my food. And he was really like, what? Like really shook. But yeah, that was his thing. He would start a really big fight and just kind of like, like the Joker almost like let like watch like shit unfold in a really bad way. So that was kind of our thing. It was holidays, birthdays, any sort of special occasion. He was there to start some shit. Yeah. And like I mentioned, towards the end of me staying with them or seeing them, especially in college, like, I would just purposely stop inviting him to stuff because I did not have the bandwidth to be dealing with a grown man and his tantrums. So that's kind of how that would happen. Some really big fight and then a bunch of, like, drama. Yeah, that must be hard to deal with at a young age. So were there people outside of your parents that made you feel safe when you were a child? So I am blessed to have had, you know, obviously friends. They've always been my community, not my family, my friends. And besides, besides that, it was definitely um, teachers at school, which is why what is happening to the education system in the States is very traumatic because the support I was not getting at home found me in school. So there were a lot of teachers who saw, you know, obviously I'm really book smart. 
I can catch on to things quick, et cetera, et cetera. But there were like a handful of teachers outside of that who also saw that I needed like extra support in a way that wasn't necessarily about academics. Um, people in the state, a lot of people in the states will remember the AVID program. I think it's still active. I'm not really sure. But I remember um, I technically hadn't qualified for that program because my grades were... What is that? So it is basically like a college prep program, essentially. But it was kind of a focused in public schools. I don't know if it was a private school thing. But yeah, college prep program, they teach you how to study. They teach you how to take notes. They try to prepare you as best as they can for like like a rigorous academic atmosphere like in universities here say they will give you or provide, right? So I technically did need AVID because my grades were like, they were grading. My grades were grading A's across the board, high A's, because if I didn't get high A's, you're going to get that immigrant parent like where's the other four points? Like yada, 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 that whole speech. So I technically didn't need the program, but the teacher who ran that program saw that I was struggling in other ways. Like I would come to class and I'd be really sleepy because that morning my parents decided they wanted to fight at like 6 a.m. I would come at certain times be hungry. Maybe cause I, maybe I skipped out eating because I didn't want to hear all the going back and forth, like things of that nature. So she kind of read between the lines and then added me to the program anyway, which ended up being a really good thing for me because I kind of found that the kind of, I guess, communal support that I needed that my parents couldn't necessarily provide. So yeah, that's kind of what I would say about that. I found my community at school and, you know, I'm much, 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 much better for it. And where would you say you find your community now? Definitely online, definitely, definitely online. Yeah, that's been the anchor for like the last almost 10 years because we're going into what, 2023 next year. So yeah, obviously I've been on the internet for a long time, long time. Yeah, I feel like we can never underestimate the power of the online community. Even Galdam technically started online and now, yeah, you know, we made all those connections in real life and still on the webs. Yeah. Yeah. When you think about the journey that you've been on from... Baby Clarkisha in picture number one to slightly older baby Clarkisha in picture number two to the Clarkisha that we see here today. What would you say some of the most pivotal memories or moments have been for her? That's a <laughs> it's a good question with a lot of question because it's uh, I consider all moments actually pivotal moments, especially when you zoom out later to look at them. You're like, oh, really? Wow, this ended up being quite significant. I would definitely say my decision to go out of state for college because I knew that I was not going to thrive any other way. Like if I decided to do what my parents wanted and stay in state and go to Vanderbilt and be 30 minutes away from them just randomly popping up on me, like I just knew that was not going to work. And I even like was like a third party witness to it happening to like some other friends who decide to stay in state. And I was just like, Y'all better than me. I knew for a fact I wanted to go. So that would probably be one of them. Obviously, leaving the church was another big one because I was like, I can't can't do it no more. It's too oppressive. It was too oppressive for me. So I left and, you know, um, my mental and my sex life are now much better for it, for leaving, right? <laughs> 
Um, okay, we're going to move on and talk a bit about joy. I think sometimes we don't often get the chance to kind of immerse ourselves in like taking a step back and thinking about those moments of pure joy, especially in our childhoods. And I know you've already kind of explained to us some of those harder parts, especially with your parents and, you know, holidays and yeah. But I wanted to kind of know, is there a time in your childhood where you can remember experiencing just pure joy, whether it's just like a season or a moment or through a person? That often came, I guess, my hobby of video games. Like um, when I was able to kind of disconnect from the dysfunction of my family, it would be because I just kind of got like the latest latest game or console. Now, to be clear, it took us a minute to get the latest of anything because, you know, I have African parents and, you know, they could, my, my parents in particular could be very miserly. So... Whenever I did get my hand on these systems, I did play them a lot. I can remember a lot. I used to play so many games. I can't play as much now because, you know, I'm an adult and I have some adult responsibilities that need to be taken care of first. But yeah, that was usually where I drew most of my joy and fun. I was very much uh, for a long time like an Xbox person. And I remember getting my first game on there, which is like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle game. I played that shit to death. My favorite turtle was Raphael. It still is. Yeah. And I just remember. Shout out to I Raphael. Just, Raphael, listen. Shout out to listen. Raphael. He's my favorite. I don't think he should necessarily be in a leadership position, which is why I feel like Leonardo is like good for that. Let, you know, let I know Raphael rage. I love that. Be the wild card. Yeah. Yes, exactly. You know, everybody got a role in, in the team. That's his role. He likes to wild out. So. I loved playing those type of games. I usually played those games with like my other siblings who were also into gaming because I had a lot of brothers, only had one sister. So that was also kind of like a bonding activity for us as well. So yeah, those would be probably the times I say that I had like the most fun or experienced the most joy outside of like leaving the house and not being around those people. <laughs> mm, that's, I love that. I actually, when I... I was raised Christian as well. And when I had, I was going to get my uh, confirmation. I almost, I, I begged my parents to let me change my middle name or have my middle name be Raffaella in Stop honor it. of <laughs> Raphael from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yep. So it's actually I'm, my I'm little brother's name. I'm some, some nostalgia right now. Is it Raphael? Yeah, I pretend it's off the Ninja oh my Turtles, God. but it's the angel. Why? I'm so jealous. It was literally like, I was looking up for a Saint Raffaella for like <laughs> weeks trying to research. We're in the last section of this, which is my favourite. And I wanted to ask, I guess, what advice would you give to your younger self in these two pictures that you've chosen and showed us and kind of taken us back to, if you could? What I would tell my younger self, number one, I would have told her to file for emancipation as soon as she could. I am actually mad I didn't do that when I was younger. I didn't really find out the extent of the process or that it could even be a thing until I got to college when I met someone who actually did it. And I was like, fuck, that's so smart. Cause that would have actually helped me a lot in the fact that like in the States, I could have essentially classified myself as like me, a house of one versus like my parents. Cause having to file under them meant that I didn't get as much financial aid. So had I emancipated myself, 
I feel like my financial situation would have looked a lot different. I would have probably been able to save a lot more money and do just do more growing up. So that'd be the first thing. I was like, file for emancipation today, today. Okay. The other thing I would tell my younger self, probably do more artsy fartsy things. I don't think I got to do as much because I was like really laser focused on certain aspects of academia. A lot of them were like, like pre-med stuff until I like abandoned that, like in like the first or second year of college. Cause I was like, that's not going to work. It's just not my grades are suffering. I don't even find it interesting because it'd be one thing if my grades were like struggling, but I still like the material. None of that was happening. I was just miserable all around. Um, so I definitely probably would have done more fun art things, especially after I left my parents' house um, and could be in a space where it's safe to do so. So that those probably be my two things thus far. When I'm, you know, ask me again in 10 years, it might be a different answer. <laughs> That's some strong nurturing advice. And I guess what would your younger self, probably in the older photo as the baby one, probably can't use your neck yet, think. Yeah. <laughs> what would the slightly older one think about where you are now? Um, She would definitely be scandalized. Definitely, definitely be scandalized because, you know, I was still in the thick of African Christianity, right? You know, that that flavor of it. So definitely be scandalized. I don't think she wouldn't necessarily say anything nasty to me about it, but I would definitely get very much huge side eye from this girl. But, you know, once I explained that, you know, I was okay and we were doing well and, you know, I was very accomplished, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, then she'd be like, oh, okay, so. So all this is BS then. Like, yeah, this is all BS. You can just stop this bullshit right now. So, yeah. But she would definitely, her initial reaction would be definitely, definitely scandalized. Because like I mentioned, you know, up until a certain point, I did try to simulate. I did try to buy into the hype. You know, I tried to be my parents' good little daughter for as long as I could. But when it's one of those things where, like, they're not satisfied with anything you do, period, it's then becomes very easy to be like, well, I don't have to do anything at all for you. And then obviously they're like, oh shit. I'm like, yeah, oh shit. By not ever giving me your approval, I had to guess what? Get my own. So now I don't need yours, you know? Yeah, that's interesting. Wow. Yeah. Thank you so much, Clarkisha, for joining us. Thank it's been you, amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been so fun. This has been an II Studios production. Thank you so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget, you can sign up to become a member at gal-dem.com for access to exclusive discounts with our favourite brands and partners, early access to tickets for Galdem events, an advanced copy of our annual print issue, and so much more. Make sure you're following us on all major social media at galdemzine or visit our website at gal-dem.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist-approved, so fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.